Oh, if you turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you got a Bible, if not, you can get one, or if you uh, have it on your phone or on your iPad, um, you can turn off Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is and take a look at it. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, we are working our way through Colossians. One of my favorite studies that I have done in a while um, as far as teaching through God's Word. We've been in here for several months, and we've probably got about a month or so left, and um, you know, Paul began talking about the supremacy of Christ, uh, the preeminence of who Jesus Christ is as a person and as God-man, um, and he put him up and he said, there's none like him, there's no one like Jesus. And then he said what it is for us to be in Christ, what does it mean for us to be in Christ, like for our salvation, what does it mean for us to be able to be in Christ? Um, a brand new creature, dead in our trespasses and sins, but now believing on Christ, this preeminent one, as we are saved. And then the mystery to the Gentiles is reveals in chapter 2. Uh, he says that uh, Christ in us, the hope of glory, actually chapter 1. And so now, as you understand Colossians 1 and 2, he tells us we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And then he finishes it off by talking about legalism, liberalism, intellectualism, and all the other isms of those things that are fall short of the lordship of Jesus Christ. So chapter 3 opens up, and it gets real practical for us. He sets a tone for us um, for the rest of the book. So he shows us in the beginning why it's true, and then he shows how it actually lives in our life, as practical as Paul can get. In chapter 3, he opens up by saying, we should seek those things which are above, set our minds on those things which are of heavenly things. So he's, he's commanding us. As we understand chapters 1 and 2, here's what should set the perspective or the drive in your life. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. Thus, chapter 3 is what it will look like in your life. It's going, to change your, it's going to change your behavior, it's going to change your mind, it's going to change your relationships, it's going to change your hearts, it's going to change your actions. And so last week, uh, two weeks ago, began a list. Uh, Paul begins giving us a list of the old man with the old clothes, and then the new man and the new clothes this past week. So he says we're to shed off the old and put on the new. And he mentions in the old um, things like lust and greed and lying and um, uh, uh, all these other sins that he says, those are to put off, and now we're to put on um, the, these new clothes. We started talking about them last week, but then we're going to further talk about them and understand why it's important to be clothed with these new clothes. Um, when I was a kid, I remember I was born uh, in Tucson, Arizona. I was talking about this this morning, in a little, and uh, we live in a little town called Benson, Arizona. And uh, yeah, there we go. I got somewhere from Benson. Can you believe that? I think that might be the first time I could ever say that in my life. Somebody, she's, she, they're visiting. They're actually from Benson, Arizona. But uh, so if we were not related to everyone there, but we we're pretty close to related to everyone there. Um, and so after first grade, though, we had to move. We moved to Houston, Texas. And I remember Houston, Texas was really different than Benson, Arizona. And at the time, it was the boom town. And it was a major change for us. We didn't know anyone in that area. Didn't really know uh, things to do there. And uh, I remember we were about to start school. I was about to go into second grade. I remember my mom taking me to, to shopping. And uh, we went out and bought me all new clothes, got me new shoes, new pants, new shirt, got me all dressed up, ready to go for school. So when I got to school, you know, I'm not a very outgoing person, so I didn't really like trying a new school. So after the first couple minutes there, I got scared. So I went to the bathroom and said I threw up. So I got to go to the, to the nurse's office. <laughs> They called my mom, and when my mom picked me up, I tell my kids, you know the Grandma Owens 
I knew the mom Owens, all right? When I got home, she jerked them shoes off, those pants off, and that shirt off and said, I bought you new clothes. You ain't getting new shirt. You're not getting new pants. You're not getting new shoes. Long story short, two hours later, I had that back on and back at school. I was miraculously healed in two hours. Uh, I was back in school. She said, she got you new clothes. You're going to go to school. But I remember as a kid, not only that, but every year, I can remember my mom taking me school shopping. We'd buy new clothes, get new pants, new shirt, new clothes to go to school, and uh, for the purpose of going to school. And when I didn't want to go to school, she said, you're not going to get the new clothes because if you're not going to do what I've called, told you to do, you're not going to get them. And uh, it was funny because I was just trying to recall some of the years, over the years of getting new clothes. Um, I remember one year, I got a brand new pair of parachute pants. Now, you guys, I know, <laughs> are laughing at a husky kid in parachute pants. I know that. But... Uh, <laughs> topped off with a pair of pump-up Reeboks. Uh, you remember the pump-up Reeboks with a little pump on them, and they pump them up? Uh, one year, I really thought I was cool and got the um, Izod shirt, so it was pretty uh, uh, popular, and Ruse uh, shoes, which were short for kangaroos, had a little pocket in the side. The only thing you could get in that little pocket was a quarter. I don't know why I needed a quarter, but for some reason, I really thought those shoes were really, really cool. And then when my dad made some money and saved some money, I got a members-only jacket. I remember that. I could wear that around, and I uh, thought I was pretty cool with my members-only jacket. But uh, I remember getting new clothes for a purpose of going to school and getting an education. Well, Paul talks about these new clothes. We talked about them last week, but the purpose is not to go to school. The purpose is for us to live out our faith. Why does he clothe us with these new clothes for us He's going to start with the church, then he's going to go to our marriages, then he's going to go to our families, then he's going to go to our workplace, then he's going to go to the world of how we as Christians with these new clothes that God has given us and our righteousness for why we should put them on and how we're to live them out. What is the purpose of those things? And so uh, I'm going to go back and start in verse 12 of chapter 3, and I'm going to go down to verse 17 to really get the context of it. So I'm going to read Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, let even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So verse 15, starting this week with our purpose of why we put on these new clothes. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the, uh, to God the Father through Him. So he says, here we are, we're shedding off the old clothes, we're putting on the new clothes. What for? First, to live as the members of one body in Christ. Not just as one body, but in unity. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Meaning that if we are a Christian and we are believers in Christ and we join together as the body of Christ, then let the peace of God rule your, in your heart so that you are called into one body in unity with one another. So as a Christian, you were saved not to sit, soak, and sour, but you are saved to serve in the body of Christ. And as you serve, let the 
peace of God rule your heart into one body. That we are not saved, we are not with new clothing just to benefit ourselves, but it is for the purpose of the whole body of Christ. And for us as Christians, it's important for us to remember, as he says here, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, when we have peace with God, then we can have peace with the people of God. And so as Christians, when Christ comes into our life, we let that peace, we, we extend to others the same unity that we now have with relationship with Christ. And he's saying, let it rule in your hearts. The word rule was the same word we used to judge back in chapter 2 when it said, let no one judge you by what you eat or drink. Uh, literally, it means to umpire or to judge as a rule. Uh, when you do a sporting event, basketball or football, or uh, any other sport you do, you yield to an umpire or a referee or a judge to let, tell you when you break the rule or violation of one of the rules, they're going to say, no, that's not right. You did that wrong and you get penalized for it. So what Paul is saying here as a Christian, you let the peace of Christ be the referee of your relationships with other Christians. In other words, when a dispute arises, a believer is to let the peace of Christ make the call. That, that if it violates the unity of the believers or it violates peace between you and another brother and sister in Christ, as a Christian, as one who has the peace of Christ in your life, you are to let the peace of Christ make the call. Meaning that you are not to argue, you are not to go against, you are not to have conflict in the body. Because we are going to have those times as Christians when we are not joining together all the time. Like, we're going to rub each other the wrong way. Um, unfortunately for me, even as I uh, deal with people, a lot of times I can offend people or I can make somebody mad by what I say or what I do. Most of the time it's Erin, and so she always tries to be the calming voice in my head, like, don't say that, or you shouldn't have said that. But anyhow, I'm an equal opportunity offender, if you've ever been around me. I, got, I can offend just about anybody that comes around me with something I say or something that I do. I, I admit to that. And so in that, uh, we are going to be offended. You're going to get upset with others. But what Paul is saying, for you being upset or you being offended by someone, if you take it to the point that it makes a schism or it breaks the unity of the bond of Christ, he says, as a Christian who's at peace with Christ, you should let the, you should let the uh, unity of Christ be the judge. Let it be the rule. Like, like you should yield to that power uh, in the body of Christ. Let it be the umpire. It, it doesn't mean, matter what you're arguing over. If it breaks the unity, then he says, let the peace of Christ make the call. So us as Christians, and you think about it, the impact that this church was having at one time there at the, in Colossae that now they're not having was because they were not in unity. The, bodies of, the body of Christ was, uh, had a schism, had a separation. They were arguing with one another. And they were divided and not united. And so Paul was pleading with them, you are a Christian. You are at peace with Christ. Now, as a rule of thumb, as a believer in Jesus Christ and the family of God, you let that peace of Christ be the rule of your hearts. Meaning that it, you should yield when a dispute arises, let the peace of Christ make the call. You think about churches today. How many Christians do you know wants nothing to do with churches because they've been offended by someone? Because the peace of Christ has not been the rule. 
Because an agenda or a person or someone who's been offended or wants to offend someone else, they do not let the peace of Christ uh, rule. And so the church is broken. The church is, has a schism in it. And next thing you know, the church is fighting amongst one another. And they say, if I can go to church and get in a fight, I could do that at home. I could do that in a workplace. I could do that in the world. Why would I want to be a part of a church that comes and argues and fights and fusses all the time over the color of the carpet or the type of chairs or how cold it is or how hot it is or what type of music it is or all these things? He's saying, listen, as a Christian, as a body of Christ, if we're going to have impact and you have these new clothes on, you have love and you have peace and you have long suffering, you have humility, you let the unity of Christ make the call between you as brothers and sisters in Christ. They said, number one, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Number two, he says, be thankful. It's a pretty simple command. As you'll find in these scriptures seven times in Colossians, he mentions these six times in these verses that we've read from the beginning of chapter three. Paul says, plain and simple, let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. It's a verb. It's a continual action of gratitude in your life. Uh, one preacher I heard, I used to love what he say, it's an attitude of gratitude. That in everything you do, if you're at peace with people and you have thanksgiving in your heart, it will lead to praise and honor and worship to God on your lips. So as we are continually thanking God and we are at peace, with the body of Christ, then we are in the people of God that placed in your life. And when we uh, are not doing that, when we are not letting the peace of Christ rule and we are not being grateful and thankful, we become ungrateful. We become mean-spirited. We become judgmental. We become easily offended. Paul's saying, listen, as a Christian with new clothing, as a new believer in Christ, you can't function the way you used to function. Now, he's saying, let the peace of Christ rule and be thankful for one another. Don't gripe, don't complain, don't whine towards one another. And listen, for me, when I get to griping, I get to complaining, I get to whining, i got to repent. Because next thing you know, it begins to affect every area of my life. Uh, I've said this before, but I love this illustration because you're going to have to hear it again. All right, There's this older man. He was a grandfather. He was playing with his grandson. He fell asleep in his lazy chair, uh, as many times I do as well. Uh, Courtney always says, we don't know if you're sleeping or you're awake because sometimes you snore and sometimes you change the channel. We're not sure which one you're doing there. Like, <laughs> If you're awake or not awake, we're not so sure. So the, the grandpa was there playing with the kid. He, he fell asleep, so he thought it would be a joke. He went in and got some Limburger cheese out of the refrigerator, and that's kind of like Parmesan. She just stinks really, really bad. So he took, and when he was asleep, put a little bit in his mustache. So he woke up, and the grandpa smelled. He goes, whew, man, it stinks in here. And he went to his bedroom. He goes, man, it stinks in here. And he went out to the garage. He says, man, it stinks in the garage. And he went out on the porch. He says, man, the whole world stinks. And listen, for us, when you get a little something in your goatee, that's why I have facial hair. So I, I like enjoy snacks a little later on. You know what I mean? Aaron's cringing when I say that. But anyhow, you get a little something in your facial hair. The next thing you know, like this Limburger cheese, the whole world stinks. And when you're a Christian, you become ungrateful. That's what happens. You'll start complaining about your marriage. Start complaining about your kids. Start complaining about the house you live in. 
start complaining about your old car, your new car, whatever it is, you start complaining about. Next thing you know, just a little bit of ungratefulness, and all of a sudden the church is bad, the, your home is bad, your life is bad, everything's terrible, and the whole world begins to sink. What Paul is saying is learn how to have an attitude of gratitude. That we are to be at peace and unity, and we are to be thankful. Thankful and attitude of gratitude. When you are grateful and thankful, you won't be griping, you won't be complaining, you won't be whining. I find it interesting, in the Old Testament, one of the first things, that the sins that, that God mentioned against the nation of Israel and Romans was, the, I mean, the second thing he mentioned was, neither were they thankful. See, God does not like ungrateful and unthankful people. And for us as Christians, all that God has done for us, Paul says, seek the unity of Christ, promote the peace in the body of Christ as new believers in Jesus Christ, be thankful. So let the, let the peace of God rule. Let, the, let you be thankful. Third thing he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You look at verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude and your hearts towards God. I told you seven, six times, right here's another time he mentions gratitude here at the end of verse 16. But you think about the peace of God and the word of God always works together. Like, like if you're going to rule or you're going to let the peace of Christ rule in your relationship, you've got to know what the word of Christ is. And in here in Colossians, furthering God being, I mean, Christ being God, he doesn't say the word of God, he says the word of Christ. Because Christ and God, as we learn in chapter 1, we're equal. He said, now the word of Christ, let that dwell in you richly. Let that dwell, uh, let that continue in your heart, let that richly dwell in you. Meaning that wherever you live and however you live, let it dwell in you, let it be rich in you. Let, let the Word of God find a home in your heart, not just a temporary visitor, not just something you live by on a Sunday, but something that you live by on a Monday and a Tuesday and every day of your life. Make it not a temporary thing you visit every once in a while, but... Treat it like a permanent residence. Treat it something that's day in and day out. Let it dwell in you richly, abundantly. The Message Bible, which is not a, not a, a translation, but a transliteration, more like a commentary. So it's good to read it as a commentary, but not good to read it as you know, a, tra a translation of the Bible. He says in the Message in Colossians 3.16, he puts it this way. Let the Word of Christ have the run of your house, Give it plenty of room in your lives. You think about it. When we describe the Word of God in our life, how do we describe it? If your kids had to say, what's one principle we live by in our family? Would they say it's the Word of God? Would they say it's something that we read the Bible, we understand the Bible? And it's important for us as Christians, especially Christian parents, to help our kids understand that because that is the rule of life. For us as Christians, we must be a people of the book. We must be known as one who trusts in the Bible, who believes the Bible, that it richly dwells in all that we do. It guides our marriages. It guides our parenting. It guides our relationships in our community. It guides our church. That's why for us as a church, we want to be known as people of the book. Like when you come, we want to preach from the Bible. We want to teach from the Bible. We want to share God's word from the Bible. 
For kids' Sunday school classes or Bible fellowship, they don't just learn principles. They learn the Word of God. They learn the stories of the Old Testament of Daniel, and they learn the Testament of, of Noah and the, the stories of all the things of God's Word, not just principles, but God's Word. It richly dwells in your life, in your family, in us as a church. That's the peace of God and the Word of Christ that richly dwells in us. As you do that, you teach and admonish one another. Teaching is the positive instruction. As we get equipped of how to live our life, the Word of God positively teaches us how to live our life. And then admonishing, that's the negative side. It tells us what not to do. I mean, it's very clear the Word of God has specific things that it tells us not to do. And as it admonishes us, as it corrects our behavior, as it corrects our attitudes. We should teach with it. We should admonish with it. Then it says we should sing with gratitude in our hearts with it. That is, we sing our hymns and we sing our songs that we don't, hymn, we don't sing them just because they feel good. We sing them because they're the Word of God, that they have Christ in them, that they have the cross in them, that we sing about the blood of Christ. And for us as Christians, for us as a church, we should be richly, that the Word of God should richly dwell in us in our life. You think about when you evaluate your life, how richly does God's Word dwell in your life? You know, would it be just a temporary resident? You know, for me as a Christian, one of the, the greatest things to do is be disciplined in your quiet time. So when I say a quiet time, I mean, you got you got to carve time out of your day to read God's Word. If you don't have God's Word in your heart, you're not going to make it. Like, like getting a little bit on Sunday morning is not going to be enough for the whole week. Like, like you need God's Word every day. Like, you should carve time out of your day every day. And listen, it's easy. A lot of times you can get an app that will remind you every day. It will send you a scripture of the day. It will send, you can set it for how many times you want to read it. Um, for those that are like me and tried to read the Bible through many, many years, I've made it one time out of eight years, by the way. But uh, a lot of times you don't have to read eight chapters or ten chapters, but consistently every day you should be reading Scripture. Uh, one of my favorite ways to read the Bible is to pick a chapter out and read the same chapter every day for the whole week. That way I could learn it, I can read it, sometimes I even memorize part of it. And I get it put in my heart and it dwells in my heart. And you'll be amazed at how many times that scripture will come to your heart during that week. You'll be amazed. It's the word of God that richly dwells in you. It should not be a temporary resident, but a permanent resident. That everything we do and everything we say, as Paul says, comes from the word of God. And then he says, not all that, but he says, in verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Another time he mentions gratitude as well. But if you think about it, he's saying as the old man is going, the new man is coming on. You are serving in the unity and the bond of Christ and the word of God is richly dwelling in you. Whatever you do, whether word or in deed. Make sure it brings honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the pastors that I meet with and I get to talk with sometimes, he was at First Baptist Jacksonville for a while. Now he's at Westside Baptist Church. And uh, so I was telling him earlier, and I, liked, I, liked to, I like our sermons being online on Facebook because a lot of times I'll ask them, did you listen to it? Because I want to see if they heard what I said about him. And if they said they didn't, then I'll, sometimes even if I don't say something, I, say, I said something about you should, you should watch them. But anyhow, uh, anyhow, I, I know Reverend Barton is his name. And uh, he's, 
He's one of those guys that always wanted to be a man's man. You know, like he always wanted to be, he's been a preacher for, I guess, about 40 years. And so his hands are softer than marshmallows, if you know what I mean. Like he is, I mean, he might mow his yard, but, you know, he thinks manual labor is like the president of Mexico or something. Like he is not a, he's not a hardworking kind of guy, but he always wants to be a tough sounding, real tough guy, you know. And uh, so he would always tell a story. And one time he got to preaching, he's talking about his dad. And he said he was growing up, and his dad was a, a hardworking man as well. And so he said every time he would leave the house, he'd say, hey, listen, we're Bartons. You know what I mean? Like, you need to represent the family name of Barton. Be a tough, manly man. We are Bartons, you know? And, and when I read this scripture, that's what I'm reminded of. This is what Paul was telling us. And every time you speak to someone, every time you do something, you should be representing the name of Jesus Christ. When we call ourselves Christians, we are saying we are many Christ or imitators of Jesus Christ. We bear the names of Je- uh, bear the name of Jesus Christ. He's saying, be sure whatever you do in private and public with people you know, with people you don't know, whether in what you say or what you do, make sure you bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ. And listen, for us as Christians, what a challenge. I mean, what a challenge and what a privilege. What a privilege it is for us to know that we represent the name of Jesus Christ and that we have the great responsibility of representing the name of Jesus Christ. That when we go into our neighborhoods, that when we say and we do things, that we're representing Jesus Christ. When we go into our workplace, we are saying and representing the name of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. As Christians, you never know who's watching you. But I can promise you, all the time, someone's watching you. Like, like when you name the name of being a Christian, someone's watching you, and someone is looking to see if it's real or if it's fake in your life. And if you don't ever say anything about God, you don't ever represent Jesus Christ, and you don't ever uh, do something in the name of the Lord, listen, you, you bring reproach to His name. But Paul is saying, as a Christian... As you are clothed with this new life, as you have humility, as you have love, as you have all these things in your life, you are to do everything you do. You should be able to put the name of Jesus Christ on in your life. And think about it. Practically in our lives, with our marriages, can we say it represents Jesus Christ? With the way we raise our kids, could we say we represent Jesus Christ? With the way that we work at our workplace, will we represent the name of Jesus Christ? And Paul's just beginning because, like I said, he's going to start next week with the wives and the husbands, and he's going to go all the way through the kids to the workplace, and even all the way to the world. So he's going to, he's going to get to us, but he begins with this statement. What is it that we have that's, if you have a Christian, you name the name of Christ, you should be obediently walking after his name. You shouldn't be calling yourself like a Christian and not living out what Christ has commanded us to do. It's like being a vegetarian while you're eating a steak. just doesn't make any sense, right? It's like saying you believe something, but you don't live it. And listen, for us as Christians, this is important because, you know, in our world, especially in our culture, Christians have done a really good job of talking, but we haven't done a really good job of walking. And uh, I know this is funny, but I was reminded of this because, this is something that Mr. Bo had told me a couple months ago when I was talking to him. And I told him about a Christian missionary who went to China, and the Chinese missionary came to America, and they were asking him about Western Christianity. He was talking about Christianity in America. And they said, what's one thing you would say about Christianity in America that's different than Christianity in, in China? And he said, the missionary said, well, in, in America, 
they like to do a lot of talky-talky and not enough walky-walky. And, and he repeated that to me to remind me that, as he said, as us as Christians, that we many times do a great time of talking it, but we don't do a great thing of walking it. And for us as Christians, Paul is saying, we represent Jesus Christ. If you talk about it, make sure you walk it. Walk it and talk it, and everything you do, you should say or be able to put the name of Jesus Christ on it, wherever you are, whatever you do. Then, finally, he closes one more time. He says, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. It ties it all back together. Listen, the only reason we have the opportunity to bring any glory and honor to God is because of what Christ has done for us. Listen, we have no ability in our own. We will never be righteous enough. We can never do enough good works. You can't go to church enough. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't do all those things unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it all begins with that. Paul goes back to chapters 1 and 2. He says, finally, all these things give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Man, what is it? How great is it to know what we have has come through Jesus Christ and not because of our own doings or because of our own performance? Listen, we go back to last week uh, when he began this whole thing about how we're to live, and we talked about legalism. Legalism is trying to live a life so that you can earn favor with God. And you're never going to earn favor with God. You can't earn it on your own. And then we talked about license and liberalism. We talked about intellectual. We talked about all those things. But when Paul begins his section here in chapter 3, he says, Therefore, the elect of God, holy and beloved. He's saying you are the object of God's love. And you are holy and you are separate, separate because you are chosen by God. Think about that. That we don't have to earn it, and it's nothing that we have done, but it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that this is even possible in our life. And when you see what God has done in your life and the power that Jesus Christ has in your life that has changed you, man, what a testimony. What a, what a testimony to other people that you have done uh, what God has done in your life. And you've been given this new life in Christ, off with the old, on with the new. And as we walk this out, would people say, to God be the glory for your life? Or would they say, oh my, I'm not so sure that you're even a Christian. Paul's saying it's not about legalism, it's not about those things, it's about lordship in your life. If Christ is central, here's what your life will look like. And he begins with the unity of Christ. He begins with us following after the Lord, giving thanks to Jesus Christ, and all that we do in word or deed we should do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning.